This is Gigi. Welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast. Fear is not, quote, real. It may feel real, but it's it's really an imagined thing. And that faith, courage, love, hope, you know, God's stuff is the real stuff, the spirit stuff. The antidote to fear is love. The opposite of fear is peace of mind. Welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast with your hosts, Michael L. and Lee M. This is a show where we provide experience, strength, and hope through interviews with members of the recovery community. The show is not affiliated with any 12-step or recovery program, although you may hear them mentioned throughout the course of an interview. Good morning, Lee. How are you? Good morning. I'm really well this morning. How are you? Oh, fantastic. Another great day. Hey, what's on tap for today? Who's in the studio? So, Mike, today is April 17th, and I'm very excited to have our new friend, Gigi Langer. She's from Naples, Florida. We met Gigi on Twitter, and mm-hmm. she um, is in recovery, as we are, and has also written a great book called 50 Ways to Worry Less Now. So we're super happy to have her here on the show with us today to talk about today's daily reflection, which is love and fear as opposites. Fantastic. Well, Gigi, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. Great. Well, we get the show started in the same way every day. We ask the guests if they wouldn't mind reading the Daily Reflection for today. Would you help us get started? Love and fear as opposites. All these failings generate fear, a soul sickness in its own right. From 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, page 49. Fear knocked at the door. Faith answered. No one was there. I don't know to whom this quote should be attributed, but it certainly indicates clearly that fear is an illusion. I create the illusion myself. I experienced fear early in my life, and I mistakenly thought that the mere presence of it made me a coward. I didn't know that one of the definitions of courage is the willingness to do the right thing in spite of fear. Courage, then, is not necessarily the absence of fear. During the times I didn't have love in my life, I most assuredly had fear. To fear God is to be afraid of joy. In looking back, I realized that during the times I feared God the most, there was no joy in my life. As I learned not to fear God, I also learned to experience joy. I love that reading. Thank you for reading it. What's your sobriety date, Gigi? January 11th, 1986. Wow, you share an important date with my co-host. That's Mike's my birthday. birthday on that day. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so January 11th, what was the year? 1986. As you read this daily reflection, Gigi, what came to mind right off the bat for you? I, yeah, I think my favorite part of it is that fear is an illusion because um, the reason I wrote that book is what, you know, once I quit drinking, I realized, and I went through the steps and so on, and I realized I had a major problem with thinking, negative thinking. And I, you know, had multiple things happen to me that caused me to use the steps, but also go beyond the steps to other tools to help me deal with it as different things happened in my life. And what I learned is fear is an illusion. I could have just read this book, huh? (laughs) But we know it at the gut level when we've... I guess we've built up enough spiritual capital, and along with that, a posse of our supportive friends in recovery, so that 
there is no need for fear because we know we're going to be taken care of. Even if I can't believe in a God at that moment, if it's the worst thing that I could imagine, those people who will be like God in skin will be around me. And I won't have to be afraid, even though I think we're all kind of afraid of being afraid. <laughs> we don't have to be. You know, it's a difficult subject. I think, um, I don't know anybody that doesn't have fear and fear is, it's innate. It is, it's actually very important. It's an, it's an important aspect of our humanity, right? The, the reason that we have fear is because it helped our ancestors survive. So how do you balance that, that need for recognizing dangerous situations and, and knowing the difference between healthy fear and unhealthy fear? I think most of us know when we're physically in danger, that's pretty clear. And that's not the kind of fear we're talking about. I mean, I think we're mostly talking about the fear where I scare myself with my thinking because I imagine, and those are, you know, many of them came from a childhood, you know, growing up in a youngest of four in an alcoholic home, feeling like, you know, I was the child no one was going to take care of, you know, all those things that by the grace of God later, when we get into recovery and we get a good therapist, we start uncovering all those kind of whispered lies that I acquired as a little kid, which were the voice of fear whispering to me, you're not going to be taken care of. You can't rely on anybody. You better get good grades or people won't like you. You know, if you have a boy in your life, you'll be fine. You know, fall in love, get a degree, you know, all these things will make you happy and make the fear go away boy, none of them worked. And then just the tension of all those disappointments in a row. I mean, I was looking at divorce number three by the time I got into recovery. I just couldn't get relationships to work. When I first that did that first inventory, it was just all about the fear, you know, fear that I would not be okay. I mean, a visceral fear. How old were you when you when you got into recovery, Gigi? And what was your drinking like before you came into the rooms or what brought you in? By the time I was in my mid-30s, I was in my finishing my second marriage. And I had always done well in school. So I, I went to, to do a graduate degree and uh, met a guy who you know, help me figure that out. When I got there, I had I had been a drinker to some extent, but I always got terrible hangovers. So it was really after my first divorce that I discovered marijuana and how for me it killed the emotional pain that I'd been living with. And it um soothed my anxiety. So, you know, here I am in a doctoral program at Stanford. I'm thinking, what the hell am I doing here with all these smart people? And I did get through it, but you know, only by going to a cheers kind of bar every night with my regulars and smoking dope every night. I got through and then I, I married married a really straight guy, you know. And within nine months of marrying him, he was traveling and I was started going out to bars and picking up men and getting marijuana because I was in a new state. I didn't have any connections. And after doing this for about six months and lying and you know, this was the third marriage. This was supposed to be the one. I went running to a psychologist. <laughs> I said, what is wrong with this picture? You know, I have this great university job and here I have this seedy little private life. And later I found out the therapist was in recovery. And what he, he said to me, he said, you know, 
you're in the early stages of alcoholism. And I thought, well, that's not so bad, you know. Of course, I had it in my family, you know, but it's odd. We get it before we get into recovery. We, we're just in total denial about those things. So he said to me, if you want to know if you have a problem, have two drinks, no more, no less, and see what happens. And it took me six months to do that experiment because I was not a drinker who had one or two drinks and was off to the races and blackouts and all that. What I discovered was sometimes I could have two drinks and stop. And other times I'd have the third and the fourth and pick up the stranger and, you know, re- I mean, really endanger myself and others. My husband at the time did know about recovery. And one day he just said, what would happen if this was your last drink? I was still in therapy. And, you know, for some reason, I thought I was willing to go to a meeting. It was just so weird. He went to an Al-Anon and I went to AA. And, you know, in 1986, it was like older men. I'm in my late 30s, smoking like chimneys, you know, (laughs) and still I totally related to their stories, to the stories about how they felt and how horrible I felt. I think it was mostly the emotional pain of not being able to get my life to work in spite of trying everything I could. So, yeah, that was my last drink, January 11th, 1986. Visualizing the, the the two things that we're talking about here, fear and faith and and a program of spirituality. And, you know, in many in many ways, fear and faith are similar in that, you know, they're kind of fiction. They're they're kind of things that are not concrete. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you how you found faith and, and what your spiritual journey has looked like? It's interesting. I had uh, grown up in a family with no religious anything. You know, when I spent the night with a friend, we'd go to church, but my parents didn't. And yet my mother would swear that she was an Episcopalian, but never saw her go to church. You know, I had not been baptized. So I tried to become a Christian in high school. I went to Young Life. And Young Life is a non-denominational group for high school kids with beautiful camps in Colorado and all of this. And, And I did you know, pretty well with it. But it when, you know, there were three things I was supposed to believe in. And um, one of them was that I was basically sinful. And I, that just didn't quite, I knew I felt badly about my behavior. But, uh, you know, in turning my life over to God, I thought I was going to have to become a nun or something. And believing a certain creed, I just couldn't buy it. And then in so I kind of left that by the wayside. So college, I tried again, Campus Crusade for Christ. And I, I just sat there and you know how we do contempt prior to investigation. So I just thought they were all hypocrites and they wanted my money and so on. And um, but then so when I got in the program and they started saying, God, as you understand God, and people explained to me that that's really what they meant. Um, I thought, well, I've I've always been attracted to something that might be spiritual. I just couldn't buy the dogma, the dogma, the rules. Uh, I remember one of the first retreats I went to, it was really cool. There was a, a female nun running the Al-Anon part and a, a male priest running the 12-step part. And uh, they had one-on-ones. You could sign up for one-on-one. So I sat down with that priest. I must have been less than a year sober. And I sat down and said, 
do you mean to tell me that the only people who get into heaven are the people who believe blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and he was so great. He said, you know, I, I can't really say that for a hundred percent that, you know, that I think you have to go with what you, you hear in the program and that people find their own higher power and you're free to do that. And you know how the program, any program you're in to stay sober and support, find support, um, People, just the right people start showing up. It's a very interesting, you know, my first sponsor turned out to, to follow a spiritual path that I really liked and had been practicing or trying to practice a little before. But what happened in this case was a couple befriended me and they took me to a unity church, which is not Unitarian, it's unity it was the first time when I sat there and people were praying and people were, the guy was preaching and my bullshit detectors were not going off. What he was saying made sense because it was loving and there was no punishment in it. And it, it turned out he was in the 12 step program also. <laughs> and that became a, a really useful spiritual path for me because I, I needed something and it was very positive and not pushy. That's wonderful. And and has that continued to evolve for you? In other words, has has your concept of a higher power, the God of your understanding, continued to just change over the years? It becomes a greater and greater sense of security. And I think the reason we can have courage is because we have security that something has our back. And so even though a fear thought might come in and it might, you know, drive the bus for a while, eventually I can come back and say, wait a minute, that's my imagination scaring me. Doing the 12 steps really helped. And then, you know, I had these hardships. So I had like a, oh, and I should just say that the third marriage did end after a year of sobriety. We were in counseling. I didn't run away with just what I had in my hands, you know, uh, it was an amicable ending. Uh, and then a year after that, I met my husband and we've been married for 31 years now. So that's a big blessing. About the the faith and the growth during the steps, one of my fears was if I stopped drinking or went to therapy, I knew there was some yucky feelings and sadness and stuff down inside of me. I mean, that's part of why I drank and acted out because I didn't want to know what it was. And I couldn't it was just a lingering fear. And what I learned by doing the steps was, you know, those, they talk about the house cleaning steps with the inventory and then becoming ready to have our character flaws removed and then asking to remove them and the amends. It happened in very manageable layers. I was afraid the Band-Aid would get ripped off and all that ugly stuff would come spewing out. And it didn't at all. My first layer was, oh, my God, I'm an alcoholic. You know, oh, my God, I hate myself. And that's when I started doing, you know, self-hypnosis with kind, loving thoughts toward myself. And I started saying my worth is established by God. Because the, the next layer was the... Uh, alcoholic home and adult children of alcoholic things. So I went and worked on that program for a while. And that was the perfectionism, the competitiveness, the insecurity, thinking that things of the world could make. So I would say my faith grew as the layers of healing deepened. 
And there was a third layer that I wasn't even aware of that involved sexual touching that I didn't become aware of until I was like five years sober because I think my higher power <laughs> figured I better get her pretty spiritually strong before we we uh, deal with this, you know, and just the right people helped me with that. And it, it worked out really well. So every time I had to deal with a really scary growth spurt or a challenge, like I had two frozen shoulders for two years straight, which meant I couldn't raise my arm over my head and was very much in pain. When those things would happen, I would look for other tools. And I discovered Pema Chodron, the Buddhist nun who wrote uh, When Things Fall Apart, you know, and I would learn ways of coping through those things. And I started, well, my first sponsor I mentioned was studying a spiritual path. And when I was in grad school, I had a mentor and she was always very centered and together. And one one day we were having wine and I asked her, how are you so calm through all these things? And she said, well, I study a thing called A Course in Miracles. I had never heard of it before. This was like 1980. But when I got to Michigan and then I started going to meetings and the woman that I really wanted to be my sponsor after six months of going to meetings, it turned out that she studied A Course in Miracles. And so we had a study group of A Course in Miracles. And you know, now, I mean, I've been in several study groups. And for me, the teachings there are all about the point that fear is not, quote, real. It may feel really, but it's it's really an imagined thing. And that faith, courage, love, hope, you know, God's stuff is the real stuff, the spirit stuff. So that's been a big uh, source of spiritual growth for me. But I think everybody has to find their own set of teachings that help them. There's no one perfect solution, at least that I've found. Of course, the program of recovery that I've chosen has helped me immensely, but I still continue to to seek and to learn. And I'm curious about, I mean, about your book and and how that came to be. We're talking about fear, but is fear the same as worry? I think so, because the antidote to fear is love. The opposite of fear is peace of mind. Fear really is, oh my God, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if I couldn't have, you know, what should I have done instead of that? It's all the future and the past and the, it should have been, it could have been, it would have been, you know, and it's all born of fear because the basic lie, and I call them whispered lies is, you know, I'm not okay. And my brain can figure out how to make me okay. We'll invent some way to make us feel better. Well, uh, you know, the obvious choice was alcohol and drugs and then, you know, promiscuity and so on. When we, when we don't have that, then we, you know, it's it's sort of between a rock and a hard place at first because we don't have those old coping mechanisms of alcohol and acting out, and we haven't yet built up the trust. But if we're lucky enough to have a sponsor and a one or two, you know, in my case, female sober buddies to walk the path with, then then we do begin to grow. In the eleventh step, it does say, you know, there's a lot of wisdom to be found to increase the conscious contact with the higher power in multiple wisdom traditions. I did start exploring those, but as I had each challenge, I kept discovering different things that would help me through it. So Pema Chodron, obviously spiritual tools, you know, that those would be obvious. Oh, the golden key, some of the things we already know Part of the reason I wrote the book was 
a lot of people in recovery love it because like you could just turn to a certain page and say, oh yeah, here's how to do tapping. You know, oh yeah, here's the golden key. Oh yeah, here's this, here's that. So it's like a little reference book, but it has my stories in it. But the reason I wrote it was because we have the opportunity to discover so many helpful ways of dealing with our worry and our fear and our anxiety. And I wanted to put them in a book. Some of them are related to recovery. Many of them are not. So that was the impetus, you know, to help. And I sort of tell the story. I was going through this and hear what was happening. And then I ran into Pema Chodron's book. And here's what I learned from that, you know, and here's a little exercise that you could try. <laughs> so I'm a former teacher. So I, I made it pretty structured and practical. And it's doing really well. It's gotten really good reviews. It won an award. And um, I'm, I'm very pleased with it. And boy, did it take a lot of courage to do it. To write that, one of the modalities in there is the energy work. So there's cognitive restructuring, you know, all the, the Buddha brain. So there's spiritual tools, cognitive tools, and then these energy tools. And um, I had to get some serious energy work when I was writing chapter five, which was about the sexual touching and the whole story of that. And then at chapter six, halfway through the book, my husband, who hadn't had a drink in 30 years, started drinking again. So that whole chapter is what I did with that, which was run to Al-Anon and work that program. It had a, a fine ending, but my, my fear with that was quite dramatic. And the 12 steps helped me through it. Well, I can imagine... I'm, I'm also I'm a grateful member of Al-Anon and sponsor women in that program. And it is a fantastic program for, for all kinds of situations, quite honestly. But um, I love what you're talking about. Again, the book is 50 Ways to Worry Less Now. It sounds like there's some amazing tools in there for people that are in recovery to, to look toward um, for various situations in life. I'm wondering, you know, we do, we have people that listen to this, that they're either early in recovery or they're maybe just thinking about coming in and haven't yet decided whether they belong, you know, in a 12 step program, what advice would you have for them? Um, and we know they're usually riddled with fear and worry and yeah. just all kinds of drama at that state. So what, what would you say to those folks? If a person's in early recovery, I suggest that they work whatever steps or methods are suggested by their program of recovery and get a firm foundation I think this is most helpful with, um, you know, when we, the character flaws of fear, perfectionism, codependency, uh, chronic pain, worry about loved ones, you know, those fears that are just crop up in daily life and we all need tools. I don't think the point is that we won't have fear. Uh, what the beauty of it is we can have self-compassion and say, oh, yeah, I'm afraid. I often feel a little fear in situations like this. Okay, how do I help myself now? Which tool will I use? What can, can I call someone? And so on. I should say, by the way, that um, the book on Amazon is more expensive than on my website. And because it's G-I-G-I -G -I Langer, L-A-N-G-E-R.com. It's just my name.com. You can find the, the such a deal price on there and I will send a personalized signed copy. Free shipping within the US. And that's the end of the ad. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I love it. Thank you for doing that. And uh, and we'll include notes 
and links in the show notes uh, for folks that are interested in checking that out. Is there anything else you'd like to tell the audience before we begin to wrap? I The only other thing is that um, sometimes we have trouble cozying up to the idea of a God because it's personified as a male figure. And many of us, especially women, have had, didn't even know, but had some mistrust, you know, don't be afraid to have a female aspect of a higher power. You know, there's all kinds of literature on the female divine and even in early Christian days. And, and that really helped me. So quite often I say, you know, our father, mother, when I'm saying a prayer, that would be the last thing. Wow, that's beautiful. And again, just so consistent with, you know, this program is wide open for us to conceptualize our higher power in a way that's loving and safe and life producing. So it doesn't have to fit into any mold. So that's just beautiful. But thank you so much for coming, Gigi. It's been a pleasure to get to know you and have this conversation. We hope you'll come back. I hope so too. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to find us online, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash daily reflection podcast. You can find us on Twitter at daily reflector. You can read stories of recovery from our community at blog.dailyreflectionpodcast.com. Please don't forget to give us a rating on your podcast app. We greatly appreciate it. Have a great day.